0: And we see now with Gehazi off to the side that there is certainly a a marvel of blessing. Now, the work got going, and there was the sound of the swinging of axes in the forest. You can just imagine this situation. It's all action, and they're all about getting the work done. Now, I take some liberty there. We're only told about one axe. But I think in the law of averages, in any prosperous nation, there ought to be more than one axe. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher. Thank you for being a part of our program from the Free Presbyterian Church here in Cloverdale. And today we are looking at when you lose your cutting edge, Second Kings chapter 6. We'll also have a little lecture today on righteousness, exalt of the nation, and I'll be looking at the madness of marijuana. Oh boy, what we're headed for in this country. But firstly, our message on when life loses its cutting edge. In these seven verses, we have the scene of a, an Old Testament seminary. It's the School of the Prophets, and it is somewhere in the area of Gilgal, somewhere in the area of Jordan, down on that, uh, on that riverside, that fertile valley. If you look at it on the map, that you will see that there was greenery there, and we will learn from this passage that there were trees and forest to some degree. Now, this seminary needed room to grow, and it's always a good thing whenever seminaries need room to grow. And there's not enough space, and they decided that they were going to move out and build anew. And so, this is certainly very encouraging. I'd ask you to pray for our seminary, uh, that this would be their problem, that they would need more room and that there would be such an increase that they would need to move out. Also, these young prophets were willing to build for themselves. They were by no no means monks who expected it all to be done for them. They were willing to get their shoulder to the very work, and they were very content with a very simple structure. Uh, They were to each take a beam, a plank, carry it along, get it into place, and see that structure grow. And they were willing to go down to the woods and to take their axe or axes. There's only one that is mentioned right here, so I'm not sure if every man had an axe or just one uh, young prophet had an axe, but they were willing to go and cut down trees for themselves. You couldn't just phone up uh, Home Depot and ask for a delivery of lumber— or pick it up yourself, uh, all sawed into beautiful shape and ready to put together. They had to go and cut down the tree, get them into plank shape, and, and uh, cut them all to size. So you can imagine the labor that was involved for these what were supposed to be theology students. Now, if you ever shake the hand of a theology student, it's usually white and soft. But these fellows, they were willing to work and they had no power drills. They had no power machines. They were doing it all manually. What else I notice here is that they invited Elisha to come and join them in the work. Now, it's always good when you get that rapport between the old guy and the young guys that they are willing to have him along and perhaps some of his supervision and maybe a little bit of his muscle power if he's able— And so, there was a good rapport between Elisha and these young prophets, and they invited him along to go down with them to the woods and to see this construction of their new school. They certainly wanted Elisha's blessing. They knew that this man had something from God. They knew that this man was really the key to the future. And if they had Elisha's blessing— they would certainly have God's blessing. Now, they wanted his presence. You'll see there in the third verse, and one said, "'Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants.' And he answered, "'I will go.'" So there is a good rapport, there is a good response, and they have the blessing, they have the presence of this mighty man of God, this man, Elisha. Now, this is a very good commendation for Elisha as well. He didn't say, oh, no, I'm past that it's up to you young guys to go down there and do the work all by yourself. You'll see the interest that he had in the future of this young seminary and these young men, and he wanted to be their encourager. He wanted to be in the midst of the work, and that's that's the heart of encouraging. You can't encourage from the sidelines— That's why we're a little bit worried about webcast viewing. People who let us know, well, I joined your meeting for a while and it was great. But to us, we are in the midst of the battle. We are in the midst of the work of seeking to maintain the meetings, the preaching, the work of building up the gospel church. And you can really only do it by getting down into the midst and we see this in the life of Elisha. Now, some attribute this blessing that was certainly taking place. When you see young prophets busy wanting to extend and expand, and we see Elisha encouraging them in the work, many attribute this to the fact that Gehazi was now offside. Now, Gehazi had been Elisha's servant for a considerable time, and he had been his, well, I wouldn't say bond servant, but he certainly was his his helper along the way. Now there's a very sad incident after the healing of Naaman, and you remember that Elisha would not take money, he would not take anything in remuneration, and he did not want Naaman going back to Syria and said he was healed for money. But Gehazi, he got other ideas in his head and he ran after. Uh, Naaman, and he took the money, and he hid the money, and he got himself into a place where he was exposed for fraud and all the rest of it. And he ended up with the disease of leprosy that Naaman had, a sad story. And it's always sad when one who has been involved in God's work gets sidelined or is harmed and is no longer involved in God's work. That ought to be a lament. But God has his way of weeding out. God has his way of cleaning up. And we see now, with Gehazi off to the side, that there is certainly a marvel of blessing. Now, the work got going, And there was the sound of the swinging of axes in the forest. You can just imagine this situation. It's all action. And they're all about getting the work done. Now, I take some liberty there. We're only told about one axe. But I think in the law of averages, in any prosperous nation, there ought to be more than one axe. There ought to be a few that could go down together and get their backs into the work, and see those trees chopped down and the lumber come forth. Now, the incident that happened, this flying of the head of the axe, was no strange thing in Bible times. You study the book of Deuteronomy, you will find that there was a provision made for manslaughter where someone may be mortally wounded in this very manner by an axe flying off a shaft and injuring someone. And you've heard of the cities of refuge, that that person who wounded or killed someone in that way, until the whole matter settled, he would run to the city of refuge in case someone took immediate revenge upon him. And so you can imagine this matter of axes, wounding, and even mortally wounding people, that it was a common enough thing. And so this young student's got an ax in his hand, and he's chopping away, and something strange happens. Now, I think of myself doing this. Usually what happens when the head comes off, you miss the thing completely. It's not when you hit the wood solid. Now, chopping for a long time may make it come loose, but it's that one time when you swing and you swing short, and the axe doesn't hit the tree at all, and it comes, really comes around full circle, and the axe goes up into the air, and you can see how dangerous that moment might be, mostly not to the woodcutter himself, but anyone standing by. And in this case, the axe head went up in the air, landed in the water, and sank. You can just see the bubbles right there in the water. It was a disappointing moment, and the cry went up Alas, Master, for it was borrowed. And then the miracle happened, and in the providence of God, Elisha was right there. You see the benefit of not leaving the old person behind? Bring him along, keep him close and he threw a stick into the water, raised it to swim. Now, modernists would say he hooked it with the stick. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that when the stick touched the surface of the water, that the axe head did swim. And there is certainly a message in this account, and this event, under this title, Now, before I give you the title, I want to say that when I planned to preach on this, I felt like turning the page, because I said, there's no way that I'm going to get a sermon out of this. I went to Matthew Henry, and I read what he had to say, some nice general comments, but it certainly wasn't material for a sermon. I thought about it, and I thought, I'm never going to get a message out of this. And then I got on my knees— and I prayed. And I want to say to you tonight that it's been a good while since God has written a message more definitely on my own heart than this one. The title is this, When Life Loses Its Cutting Edge. Now, there is this text and event, and I am the one who cries out, Alas, Master, for it was borrowed. This is when God's work and when the life of God's people become blunt, and there's much action, and there's much activity, and much doing, but there's no results. There's no increase. This is one of those sermons that I've had to preach to my own heart, and had to get on my knees repeatedly and weep and pray and ask God for grace, that he would help me to preach this honestly. Now, I could skirt the issues. I could push things under the rug. I could pretend all is well, but I have to join this young man and say, alas, master, for it was borrowed. I begin here with the troubling admission. We have lost our cutting power, We're like that lumberjack, novice as he might be, uh, mediocre at his work as he may be. But in the midst of his chopping, in the midst of his working, somehow he has lost the cutting edge. It's gone. And we'll see in a minute he can't get it back himself. We expend a lot of labor, and we do, I think, everything we possibly can in this church— to proclaim the gospel and expand the kingdom of God, but we have lost. This is a a humbling, troubling admission. We have lost our cutting edge. What is the evidence when you lose your cutting edge, when no souls are being saved, when there are no converts in the church, when you preach a full year or more? And you cannot put your finger on one person who has been transformed by the power of the gospel. When there are few answers to prayer, I won't be so black as to say there are no answers to prayer, but when there are few answers to prayer, we pray and pray and pray, and where are the answers? When there are no additions to the church, It seems that we add a few and lose a few and add a few and lose a few and add a few and lose a few. And that's the story of the church year in and year out. No encouragements from the Lord. Now, I'm not blaming God and I'm not turning my back on God. I'm not saying that God is not good and gracious and merciful. We wouldn't be here tonight if God was not good to us and blessing in many, many ways. But I've been reading in the book of Second Chronicles, and I've been reading a number of the kings, and you know how one king, there was days of power, victory, blessing, then the next king, defeat. And usually, there's some reason. In 2 Chronicles 12, 12, we read about Rehoboam, that when he humbled himself and sought the Lord, things went well. Things went well. Can we honestly say tonight as a church that things are going well? Are we the church that we ought to be for God? Are we seeing men and women blessed and helped and increased in God? I think that we have more defeats than we have victories. We have to confess that our power was never our own, alas, for it was borrowed. This axe head never belonged to this student prophet. He borrowed it. He had it for a short while, and he's lost it. And that's our admission. Whatever God gave us at any time in our Christian life and walk and service, it was God that gave it. But alas, master, it's lost. The power of the Spirit of God upon the Christian and upon the church and upon the preacher is all given. It's given. It's not our own. It's God's gift. It's God's grace. And God never gives up control of it. And we have none of his power in our own right. We also have to confess that we cannot get the axe head back ourselves. That surely describes us. This man did not try to reach the axe head. I don't know the depth of the water. I don't know if it was fast running water. I don't know all those circumstances, but it appears that he just saw the place where it dived in, and that was it up. He could not get it back himself. We've got to realize tonight as Christians and servants and Bible believers, and disciples of Christ, that things are not in our control. We cannot manipulate the Holy Ghost. The power and the blessing of the Spirit of God is not in our hands. It is God's grace that is granted and is given. And all our administration, and all our catechisms, and all our BCOs and all our presbytery meetings and all our organization and all our endeavors of human activity cannot produce the power and anointing of the Spirit of God. It is God-given, and we can't get it back by human means. That's a very troubling admission, and it drives us to complete dependence and complete submission to what God is pleased to do. But tonight we need to make this troubling admission, and we need to be awakened to the reality that we have lost the power of God. I don't want to be guilty tonight of overanalyzing. I don't want to say, well, it's because of this, and it's because of that, and it's because of whatever. But it ought to be our admission tonight we greatly need in Christ's church the power of God. This is not just a Cloverdale Free Presbyterian Church problem. It is a denominational problem, and it is a nation and worldwide problem. And certainly in what we call the West, where God In generations ago raised up great ministries and churches and poured out days of revival, we are not seeing them today. And we've got to cry to the Lord, starting with an admission, because it's all about the lack of spiritual power. It's not, well, if we were Baptists, it would be better. If we were Congregationalists, it would be better. If we had some other form of government or some other way of worship, it would be better. The reality is we have lost the cutting edge, and we must start with that admission. This is Ian Golliher. Thank you for joining with us here on Let the Bible Speak, and today... We're looking at righteousness exalt of the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And we need the warning that marijuana is coming. If you have not already smelled it in your neighborhood, soon, in a few months' time, parents will have lost one big reason to direct their children away from marijuana, because it will become legal. Canada is opening up the marijuana market and will lift its ban on the use of what has been known as weed. I have to ask what our government is already smoking, for they must be out of their minds. A little research will show that marijuana is no joke. Doesn't the government know already what is established by science? Here are some of the adverse consequences of marijuana use taken from a drug abuse government in the U S acute persistent during intoxication, impaired short-term memory, impaired attention, judgment, and other cognitive functions, impaired coordination and balance, increased heart rate, anxiety, paranoia, psychosis, although they claim that is uncommon, persistent lasting longer than intoxication but may not be permanent, that impaired learning and coordination, sleep problems. Then there are the long-term or cumulative effects of repeated use of marijuana, potential for marijuana addiction, impairments in learning and memory with potential loss of IQ, increased risk of chronic cough and bronchitis, increased risk of other drug and alcohol Use disorders, increased risk of schizophrenia in people with genetic vulnerability. And then they also have loss of IQ among individuals with persistent marijuana use who began using heavily during adolescence. And so we have this list of problems that marijuana causes. Now, here is a statement. What are marijuana's effects on lung health? Info taken from the National Institute on Drug Abuse in the USA. They say that like tobacco smoke, marijuana smoke is an irritant to the throat and lungs and can cause a heavy cough during use. It also contains levels of volatile chemicals and tar that are similar to tobacco smoke, raising concerns about risk, for cancer and lung disease. Marijuana smoking is associated with large airway inflammation, increased airway resistance, and lung hyperinflation. And those who smoke marijuana regularly report more symptoms of chronic bronchitis than those who do not smoke. One study found that people who frequently smoke marijuana had more outpatient medical visits for respiratory problems than those who do not smoke. And the list goes on and on. I want to read to you a director's letter on the site for National Institute on Drug Abuse in the United States. Changes in marijuana policies across states legalizing marijuana for medical and or recreational use suggest that marijuana is gaining greater acceptance in our society. Thus, it is particularly important for people to understand what is known about both the adverse health effects and the potential therapeutic benefits linked to marijuana. Because marijuana impairs short-term memory and judgment and distorts perception, it can impair performance in school or at work and make it dangerous to drive. It also affects brain systems that are still maturing through young adulthood. So regular use by teens may have negative and long-lasting effects, on their cognitive development, putting them at a competitive disadvantage and possibly interfering with their well-being in other ways. Also, contrary to popular opinion, marijuana can be addictive, and its use during adolescence may make other forms of problem use or addiction more likely. Whether smoking or otherwise consuming marijuana has therapeutic benefits that outweigh its health risks, is still an open question. And this is signed by Nora D. Volkow, MD, Director, National Institute on Drug Abuse, USA. And so I have asked, have Canadians lost their minds to allow and legalize marijuana from coast to coast, knowing the harm and knowing the societal danger this will have? Our government, led by our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, is acting like a pied piper leading the citizens of our country to ruin. What a disaster this is going to bring. It will bring a tsunami of problems on the roads, domestic life, on the job, and throughout society. We are headed for a downgrade disaster. Surely we need to cry out to God to deliver people from this this awful temptation and destruction, especially for young people, because the science is clear that the THC compound in marijuana will destroy developing uh, minds so that they will not reach their potential and they will be damaged for life. This is irreversible damage. This is a disaster for our country. And it's a disaster for the rising generation in this, this nation that will reap the harvest of this evil. Let us cry to God for mercy for the rising generation. And let us plead the truth that righteousness exalted the nation, but sin is a reproach of any people. May the Lord be gracious and turn this nation again to righteousness.